Broadcasting from our office in Buffalo, New York, this is the Arrive Podcast, the comprehensive guide to U.S. immigration law designed especially for our Canadian neighbors. I'm Jeremy Richards, your host, along with my co-host and business partner, Christine Jerusik. We bring decades of immigration law experience helping Canadians to live and work in the United States. We're here to simplify the complexities of the U.S. immigration process, answer your questions, and provide insights that only experienced professionals can provide. In each episode, Christine and I will delve into legal concepts, share personal narratives, and bring you insightful conversations, all designed to educate, enlighten, and empower you as you navigate the U.S. immigration law landscape. Whether you're preparing to move to the United States for work, studies, love, or if you're just intrigued by U.S. immigration law, the Arrive podcast is your resource for making the journey clearer, simpler, and more approachable. So we invite you to come on this journey with us. Listen to the Arrive podcast, follow us on your favorite podcast platforms, and subscribe to the latest episodes as they are released. And if you find what we share helpful, don't keep it to yourself. Feel free to share it with others who might also benefit from the content. Our mission is to assist our friends from the North in successfully navigating their way to live and work in the United States. So sit back, tune in, and get ready to arrive. This is the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. Welcome back. On today's podcast, we're going to kind of continue off where we left last time. Last time we talked about uh, the upcoming H-1B visa lottery that opens next week on March 6th, and it runs until March 22nd. Uh, the good thing about the lottery is once it opens, you don't, have an advantage by getting in on day one. Uh, you're not given a preference. Anybody that enters the lottery between March 6th and March 22nd, and it's a timely entry into the lottery, will give them the same odds as everyone else that enters into the lottery. So there's no need to rush and get it in on, on March 6th. As long as it's in before the deadline, uh, you'll be given the same treatment as anyone else that enters the lottery. But since it is H-1B season is what we call it as immigration lawyers, we get a lot of questions about TNs and H-1Bs. What's the advantage of an H-1B over a TN, especially as a Canadian? Uh, Canadians want to know, should I enter, have an employer enter me into that H-1B visa lottery or should I stay on my TN? But we also have people that have been on H-1Bs and want to know if they should go back to a TN uh, right, maybe or their if H-1B they can. time is ending. They've hit their six-year limit yep. right, on their H-1B. And, and now what do they do? So we're going to cover a, a general discussion about TNs and H-1Bs, the pros, the cons. Uh, also, it, the ultimate that everybody's looking for is how, how might this impact the green card process? Uh, do I have an advantage if on an, I'm on an H-1B and try to get a green card over being on a TN and trying to get a green card? So we're going we're gonna to go over that. We're going to talk about um, these categories, these visa categories, and hopefully provide a little bit more light uh, around them and, and what you can and can't do and the advantages of them. So first off, we'll go, we'll go with what you just mentioned, Christine. One of, one of the questions, and this was actually, I saw this on one of our, we have these immigration lawyer message boards, and another lawyer asked this question. Um, pretty straightforward answer. 
Um, sometimes you see the questions on there and you're like, why did they ask that? Shouldn't they know the answer? <laughs> but the question was, hey, I have a client who's been on an H-1B for six years. They used all six years. So if you're familiar with this H-1B, you have a six-year limit on the H-1B visa. That's one of the disadvantages to talk about yeah, disadvantage is it has a six-year limit where a TN has no limit. You could renew it indefinitely every three years if you need to until you die. As long as uh, you you continue to qualify, you can keep getting TNs. So this question is for somebody who was a, C a Canadian working in the United States and had been working under an H-1B visa, but the six years was used up. And this person was asking whether or not their the client could go to a TN. The position is a TN profession. So it is one listed under the TN occupations list and the individual would qualify for TN status and just wanted to know if, is, is that possible? They were on an H-1B. Can, can they go to a TN? Yeah. Sometimes when I see questions like that, I, I start um, overthinking it and wondering why this attorney would be asking this question. What scenario could prompt them not to know the answer to this, right? What complicating factor could there be? I mean, generally speaking, if you're on H-1B and you qualify for TN, there's no reason why, even if you've used your full six years on H-1B, why you couldn't just apply for TN. There's no wait period? There's no wait period. No cooling off period? No cooling off period. There's no counting of the H-1B time towards TN time because there's no limit on the TN time. Correct. Yeah, it, it, so there really is no complication. You can go directly from H-1B to TN. There's nothing you need to be worried about. There's there's no additional consideration that needs to be taken into account other than do you qualify for the TN? Does the profession right. you've been working under for the H-1B qualify for TN status as well? If it does, you can go back and forth between TN and H-1B status all you want. Yep. Doesn't there, matter. There was other attorneys on the message board that were saying... Why, you know, drives me crazy when you Canadians use up all the H-1B lottery, uh, you know, tickets for, for your, your profession. You don't when need you could one. You just get, just a, get TN. a TN. Well, why? But, you know, there are scenarios like someone's maybe they're a Canadian PR and they haven't received their Canadian citizenship yet. Who cares? Yet. If you're Canadian <laughs> and you have the advantage of both, then leverage it. Right. But I've seen situations like that, too, where yes. you have a Canadian PR, they get it into the U.S. on the H-1B, they're working, and yes. they get subsequently get their Canadian citizenship and, now they qualify and want for to TN. qualify for TN. They're Go like, hey, it. I've used my six years. Can I now get TN? Absolutely. But also some of them were just complaining that, hey, you're using you're using <laughs> up H-1B numbers that people, other people could be using. Well, they are a hot using. commodity. So. They are, but if they qualify... They can leverage yeah. whatever makes most sense for them. Sure. And good for them. If you're Canadian, you have that advantage. You're blessed to be able to have the USMCA and TN status and H-1B status and both available to you. So go for it. Whatever one makes most sense for you, and that's probably the main thing you, you, to get out of this conversation today, is as a Canadian, you have that advantage. You can do a TN if your profession's on there and you qualify, and you can do an H-1B if your profession is on there and you qualify. It's a matter of determining if it it fits your professional goals. If it does, go for it. it. If it does and your employer is willing to sponsor you for it, there's always that limitation as well. Yes. Um, that's one of the reasons that employers shy away from the H-1B is it is 
it is more involved than a TN is. It's more expensive. And it has the lottery component, yep. right? So TNs are not limited. They will issue as many TNs as people apply and qualify for every year to enter the United States. Right, there's no, no cap. limit, no cap, yeah. Whereas H-1Bs, there's a six, and well, there's two caps, but combined there's 85,000 available H-1Bs. They will only l issue that many a year. So that's one of the disadvantages to H-1B. There's a limited number available. And that's by lottery. Uh, where TN, no lottery, no limit. So right, you're not competing with anyone else for that visa. This is what I wish employers in the U.S. would understand, too, uh, is that Canadians hire them. <laughs> They're so much easier to bring to the U.S. Yeah. Like under the trade agreement. Why mess around with the H-1B visa lottery if you don't have to? Yeah. If you have somebody who's Canadian, you should be you should be advertising in the Canadian market for some of these positions where you can't find U.S. employers because you can bring them over on a TN True. quite yeah. quickly. Employers should know that because we get calls every day from Canadians that want to come down and work in the U.S., but maybe they don't have a job offer and they ask and us, where should, we, where should I find this job in this profession? Um, they're, they're looking to come. You just got to you know, make the connection. And employers are afraid of the H-1B sponsorship. Yes. The cost, yeah. the time, the uncertainty. It's a burden. It's, it is. It's a huge burden. So if you can tell we're kind of biased towards TNs, <laughs> at least <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I love uh, TN status. It's a huge advantage for Canadians. But sometimes it does make sense to do the H-1B visa. Yeah, if your job is not on that TN list of occupations and Every year, they get more and more strict with their interpretation of what is on that list. Yes, so, they have. Um, I, I think Jeremy can agree that over the history of the TN, it's just uh, the interpretation is becoming more and more narrow um, for more each of these professions, and yep. and you know proving qualifications has become uh, more strict as well. Yep. So if you're not on that list and, and you're thinking, okay, that's going to be fitting a square peg into a round hole to try to get on that TN list, the H-1B is the better option. Yeah, and. And maybe it's black and white. Yeah. Right. Your right. position just is not one listed. Right. However, it is what is referred to as a specialty occupation. It has to be a specialty occupation for an H-1B. As long as it's specialty occupation, then the title doesn't matter. The role really doesn't matter as long as it's a specialty occupation. In other words, that profession for minimum entry into the profession requires at least a bachelor's degree, a four-year degree or higher yeah, for and, entry into the profession. Speaking of strict interpretations, they've become more strict in how they're interpreting specialty occupation this year over last year. So, yes, um, you know, formerly if you were an engineer and you had an engineering degree and the position required an engineering degree, that would be considered a specialty occupation. But now they're taking it one step further. And if it's not a specific engineering requirement, for example, a civil engineer, um, you know, that civil part of it being the specificity that they're looking for, uh, it may or may not qualify. Yeah, so they're, they're, they're tightening their interpretation mm -hmm. for H1Bs as well. Um, but that huge advantage that you have is specialty occupation crosses all different fields. Right, it's not limited to the 63 professions that are listed under the USMCA for TN status. So, your ability to get an H-1B visa if you get in the lottery, right? There's a lot of ifs mm -hmm. with H-1B, but 
if you're able and lucky enough to get a number in the H1B visa lottery, then it's much more flexible with the positions that you're able to apply under. Um, whereas under the TN, if it's not listed and you don't have uh, the related education, well, you're out of luck. Yeah. That's one thing I do really like about the H-1B um, is that with the H-1B visa, um, there's some flexibility in in how you can qualify, number one. Mm-hmm. For a TN, it's a hard, fast rule that you have to have a bachelor's degree, for example, in, let's say, computer engineering to qualify as a computer engineer. And I'm, and I'm speaking... Um, very broadly here, okay. Um, there are, there's, there's always exceptions there's to the rule. To qualify, right. But let's say computer engineer, you have a computer engineering degree, or else you don't qualify for under the USMCA. Well, H one B, if you don't have a four year degree, you could combine with certificates, education, and other things to experience to qualify yeah. you or to show that you have the equivalent of a four-year degree and you can still qualify. So that's that's a huge advantage to individuals that may not have received their education in North America or maybe they didn't complete their education is that they can combine experience and education to meet the requirement of at least a bachelor's degree. So you cannot do that with a TN. A TN does not allow you to combine education and experience to meet the education requirements. And we see that a lot, for example, with computer systems analysts is probably the one we see it the most with, where in, in Canada, there are a lot of Indian trained computer systems analysts or educated, and they mm-hmm. obtained a three-year degree in India, and they want to use that uh, to get a, a TN as a computer systems analyst. Well, it's a three-year degree, not a four-year degree, but they've been working in the field for, let's say, 10 years, and they want to use their experience. You can't do that. You can't combine that experience with that degree to then equate to a bachelor's degree. It doesn't qualify for a TN well, status. Actually, computer systems analyst, you can do a three-year but it needs to be not it, from it, India, right? It needs to be a diploma from a Canadian a school, a two-year diploma or right. certificate. Yeah, and so you can it's, combine. That's education not a and experience, but not. That's the se- that's a separate requirement, right? It, so there's two ways you can qualify. You can qualify with a bachelor's degree, right, or a diploma certificate plus three years. Yes, Th- this is combining. You can't. So do if we that. used a different profession, it would probably we could hammer the point home more easily, like an engineer. Yeah. But engineering degrees are all four-year. Not necessarily. Some of them aren't, depending on what country you get it. So you, the point is, you, with an H-1B, you can combine education and experience to meet the bachelor's right. level component. Whereas for TN, they do not allow that. Right. And I've even done H-1Bs where somebody has zero education. Yep. They literally have a high school diploma, but they've been... 12 in, years experience. Yep. They've got over maybe 15, 20 years of experience mm-hmm. in their field, and it's been progressively getting, you know... Uh, you have to have increasing a, responsibilities so, and yep. and we can demonstrate all of that. So with zero educational qualifications, they've gotten an H-1B. And the requirement there, the equation that they use is for every three years of progressive experience in the field, it it equals one year of a college degree. So right. you would, with 12 years of progressive experience, that means you would have earned the equivalent of a bachelor's degree in that field. So for an H-1B... Absolutely okay. Mm-hmm. TN, not okay. Definitely not. So TN is much more restrictive. 
And I, th- I would say that is one of the downsides to it. The H-1B does have more flexibility in being able to argue if somebody qualifies, also being able to argue if a position qualifies as specialty occupation. Whereas a TN, it's, I'm not going to say it's black and white because <laughs> it's not. There's a lot of gray yeah. on, the, on the TN occupations list and yeah. how you qualify. And we're able to get a little nuanced in there when we're looking at specific opportunities yeah. and, and the education and experience people bring to the table to help them to see if they do qualify under a TN profession. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, is, it is a lot clearer, more clear with a TN occupation. And I think you actually gave me a statistic this week that was very interesting and um, really shows the difference here. No, I don't think you did (laughs) because you gave me a specific number. So you remember you were talking earlier about the denial rate for H1Bs last year. So I think the denial rate for H1Bs, I think you saw a post on LinkedIn or something that was saying it was very negligible it was was increasing right so it was like 2.5 percent last year and was like three percent this year or something Mm -hmm. or last year um but i do believe that the denial rate for tns is probably a lot higher than h1b's number one because people think they can just show up at the border with an offer and and a smile and and get approved but i i honestly i mean i don't think they're keeping statistics on cbp tn approval rates but with respect have you ever to, been to the border? You have. But you when see- you compare other visas to the H-1B, that's a very low denial rate for yes. H-1Bs. Yes. But I think a lot of it has to do with what you said. People take the process of getting a TN for granted. They mm-hmm. they assume they can have an offer letter and show up at the border and they're going to get a TN. Right. No, don't do that. That's You're just walking into a trap. Uh, so there is a high denial rate. For a couple reasons, I would say I would narrow it. I have my three that that I like to use when people ask, well, what are the top reasons that TN is denied? Well, number one, you're just not qualified for a TN profession. And we've talked about that already at length. You just don't have the qualifications that right. will qualify you for any occupation. Um, what is that? The common that you have a commerce degree. You have a, a degree we, in commerce. You know what, you know what we a, should do? A general business degree. You're not going to qualify for anything. Good luck. I know. We need to have an office at major universities across the United States that have a Canadian students you know <laughs> union how many or something. And you too. You and know just many- like, hey, you're signing up. You're, you're choosing your major. Guess what? If you, you want to work, work in, in the, the US? U.S. after you graduate, you know how many consultations this is not a good major for you. For that, I know. sometimes I feel like I am I know. A, counsel- a school counselor yeah. advising on courses because people will call in, hey, my son wants to work in the U.S. eventually, and he's going to school. What do they need to take? He's taking or, political science. And well, he's I want to work in the U.S. And you're like, why did you study that? That's a horrible <laughs> degree if you want a TN. Right. Yeah, we, believe it or not, have con- consultations on all the time right. where people call in and then want us to give them career advice. I never thought I'd give career advice. <laughs> um, but it is helpful if you're trying to determine if it's going to work. For a TN occupation. Yeah. So if you not. think you may want to work in the United States or maybe you're getting an education in the U.S. right now and you're thinking, well, wait a second, um, I might want to continue living here after I graduate uh, with my degree. It's it's worth it to have a little consultation with an immigration lawyer to see where this this education is leading you and whether yeah. or not and, you know, contemplate immigration in your plan, because a lot of times there's not going to be a good path for you. It's going to be the H-1B lottery and you got there, you you know, you got less than a 20% chance of getting chosen. So you're limiting your options. 
hopefully they fix that problem. They this year they did make some improvements to the H1B system, but as a Canadian, why would you even mess with that? Just stick with the TN occupations list. Um, there's so many on there <laughs> from and our perspective. Well, maybe people <laughs> wanted to like have a profession that's not on the list. Hey, but all the cool <laughs> ones are on there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there are some that aren't. So right. if it doesn't align with your career goals, then then you really need to understand the H-1B process and understand what it's going to take to get you to the H-1B because there are mechanisms and it is possible. Uh, it takes a lot more planning, though, than mm-hmm. a, a TN would. Um, so that's one of the, again, the advantages of the TN is it's relative ease to get a TN. Right. Cost. Cost is another huge factor. Mm-hmm. It is. The fees are going through the roof. A lot of them are doubling. April 1st. Uh, on April 1st. So for TNs, if you're Canadian, you can avoid these fees because you don't have to file with U.S. Citizenship Immigration Services by mail. Um, you can just go to the border, which saves a ton of money on the processing fees. And But H-1B, doesn't matter. It has whether to be you're Canadian, it has to be filed with USCIS, and those fees are going through the roof, again, doubling in, in a lot of instances. So uh, the cost of an H-1B is already, the filing fees alone are about $3,000 more than a standard TN filing if you're doing it at the border, and I'm just talking a border application. Yeah. Even by mail, it's more than $2,000 more than a standard TN filing if right. you do an H-1B by mail. So you're talking thousands of dollars more expensive for an employer to do an H-1B for you mm-hmm. than a TN. And then if you get into legal fees too, legal fees are more expensive. Why? Because there's, you're dealing with multiple departments. You're dealing with the Department of Labor as well as with USCIS. And that gets into another advantage of the TN. The H-1B has what is called uh, a prevailing wage that has to be paid. Essentially, what a prevailing wage is, is a minimum wage for foreign workers in the United States. So if you're coming to the U.S. on an H-1B, depending on your profession and where you're going to be working, there is a set wage that you have to be paid at a minimum to come to the U.S. and work under that. Whereas a TN does not have a prevailing wage doesn't mean you can just get paid whatever they want to pay you. No, it does not. There are some checks and balances. They are going to compare your wage against what is customary for that profession in that area. You need to be paid a livable wage, number one, but you also need to pay paid something that's somewhat consistent with what that profession would, right. would make. You can't come into the United States as an engineer and make $12 an hour. Yeah, I that's had that a case with flag. a restaurant manager, the, the restaurant or it was a hotel manager, um, but he was working in the hotel restaurant and they offered a very low wage. And we went back and said, you're not going to get approved with this wage. It looks like you're working like a waiter. So, you know, he went back to the employer and the employer said, yeah, you're right. I got to up that up to, to make you qualify for the TN at worked and uh, they were approved. So professional level. But I also have had ones where they're like doing an internship type thing. And it's a low, it could yeah, be lower. Yeah, it's a low, their first year at a school. an internship and they understand yeah, that. yeah. So yeah, if you're you're interning somewhere, it could be a lower wage. But with the H-1B, there's a hard and fast mm-hmm. rule that is tied to a Department of Labor determination of what the wage has to be. Whereas with the TN, there is none. It It is according to whatever the market says. And whatever your employer says, yeah. It, yeah, and they don't, 
do a determination, the border officer is just going to look at it and they can compare it against Department of Labor statistics if they choose Mm -hmm. to. And often they do. And as long as it's, you know, within a range, they're going to be fine with it. Um, If it's super, super high, could be a red flag, could indicate you may not be doing what you say you're doing. Uh, Or if it's super, super low. You're the CFO, you're not the accountant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So super high wages can be a problem and super low wages can be a problem. But as long as it's consistent uh, with the TN, again, that's one of the advantages. Uh, You don't have to work with the Department of Labor to get a wage determination of what is acceptable. Yeah, and that's an advantage to the employer because they get to set the wage. They don't have to deal with what the Department of Labor tells them they have to do. Exactly. Um, And you're cutting out an agency you have to deal with. Um, and with the TN, is like the H-1B, you have to deal with the Department of Labor. You have to deal with USCIS. You have no option. TN, you don't have to deal with either of them if you don't want to. We also should mention that with the H-1B, the onus really is on the employer. They are required under the regulations to pay actually the legal fees and the filing fees for that application. So the TN, pay for it all yourself and just have the employer sign the letter. Uh, Yes, within within some, there's a little degree of wiggle room, but the H-1B, the petitioner who files it is actually the employer. You as an employee can't sign the forms and mail it on your employer's behalf. You can't do that. It has to be done by the employer. Whereas a TN... If you're doing it at the border as a Canadian, you are the one applying. It's you presenting yourself at the border. Your employer is not representing you at the border. It's zero risk for them. Zero. All the risk is on you as the employee. So they, uh, and we see employers really nonchalantly give an employee (laughs) a letter and say, hey, just go to the border. It's easier. Go get your TN. Yeah. Well, because there's no risk for them. They don't care. Yeah. They should because they should want you to be successful and be able to come work for them. But some of them don't really care. Well, just some of them, I think they just look at Google and find somebody that says that it's you really don't, you easy. You get denied, they'll make an offer them to offer. someone else. Yeah, true. Yeah. Right? No risk. And all the risk is on you. And I hate to break it to you, anytime you interact with a border officer and you apply at the border, you're creating a permanent record. Permanent. Yeah. For better or worse, it's permanent. I talked to someone yesterday who said that they went to the border twice and they told the border officer when they got there, hey, I'm not here to go to the United States. I'm just here to ask some questions. Well, guess what? You you, just just made an application. You can't do a dry run. There is no such thing. Every time you go, they're assessing yourself for entry to the U.S. Yes, you are. And they're making a determination whether or not you want one. Yes. So be careful when you are presenting an application or seeking entry to the U.S., you're creating a permanent record. Or going to ask questions at the border. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. Call us. Or even call, even call the border and ask you a can. question. Yeah. You know, just they call have a phone them number. and ask. Don't show up there. So that's that. And we get this question a lot from Canadians who are seeking employment in the United States when they're going through the application process, right? And they're filling out, I don't know, the, the, 
the online system that these employers have to submit your job application. And in and, and the process, it asks, are you authorized to work in the United States? Because a lot of employers, if you answer uh, no to that, meaning you aren't authorized, you're not a U.S. citizen, you're not a U.S. permanent resident, they don't want to do anything immigration-wise to help you work in the U.S. They don't want to be involved in sponsorship at all. And that's because of the cumbersome nature of an H-1B. That's really why. If employers understood the ease of the TN, I I would advise employers re revise that and say, yes, I require sponsorship. And if so, what kind? Yeah. And then if somebody said TN, I'm like, well, we'll still consider that person. Yeah. HR departments take notice. Yes. Put TN as a subcategory. Yeah. It's not it, sponsorship. <laughs> Pseudo sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> all, all of the burden is on the employee. Yeah. Um, so another huge advantage for TNs, if you can convince an employer and they understand the process that they don't have to work with the Department of Labor, don't have to do a lottery uh, for, like an H-1B, that you as the employer, the one that takes all the risk going to the border. Um, so we should talk a little bit about why most of these callers who interact with us want an H-1B. And, you know, I think it has to cool do... Visa. Well, I think it has to do with the myth that you can't move from a TN to a green card or that it's very difficult to do so. So they think that this they need to get an H-1B as kind of an intermediary step towards getting permanent residence in the United States. And That's, myth is the proper term. Yeah. Because it is a complete and other myth, if not lie. Uh, and we've talked about this before. If you've listened to us, Canadians are a very small population in the world. Um, so when it comes to immigration, very, and you're comparing it to India, China, Mexico, all the rest of the places in the world, well, Canadians are very small drop in that bucket. So there's a lot of misconceptions, even with immigration attorneys and law firms that deal with this, where the, they disseminate this false information. Uh, I have to correct all the time where there's a, even attorneys that say that that the, this myth that you can't go from a TN to a green card, that it's not possible. Right. When in reality, and this is the funny thing, this is the funny thing about that myth, the process to go from an H-1B visa to a TN visa is exactly... You mean to a green this, card. Oh, sorry. <laughs> from an H-1B <laughs> visa or a TN visa to a green card... Yes, yes. ...is exactly the same. Yes, and when I say exactly, I mean exactly. It's the same process. Typically, it's through what's called PERM or labor certification. That's how you do it. You sound Whether frustrated, you sound frustrated Jeremy. Oh, my gosh. The <laughs> misinformation on this out there is insane. Yeah, it's true because I think It's that, insane. Yeah, the, the TN isn't... How many TNs to green cards do we do? We do a ton oh, of them. Yeah. But not only that, there's also, we could have a whole nother discussion and actually let's put a pin we in this We have people one. arguing with us. Yes. You know, potential clients call us and they argue like with you us. You paid well, you're for wrong. my advice and you're telling me I'm wrong? <laughs> you're wrong. I absolutely need an H-1B to get a green no, card. And we're like, uh, no, that's actually not true. I just dropped one in the mail. Yeah. Someone going from TN to green card. Mm -hmm. Do them all the time. And the other myth is can't go from a visitor to a green card either but that's another discussion yes maybe we talk about that next time okay uh that's a good good discussion but along the same lines so same process you can't do it yourself 
not this perm process. There are green cards you can do self-sponsorship for. We're not going to talk about those ones, but there are a few out there that mm-hmm. you can do self-sponsorship for. Um, but the traditional one where an employer would sponsor you, it's the same process, whether you're on a TN or an H-1B. Uh, if your employer wants to sponsor you for your green card, yeah, they can do it. Uh, there, there's on one phase where it's a little bit, one phase of the green card process where it is a, a little bit different. Um, and, and this is where the, all the confusion comes. I think so. Yeah. I, well, I think most of the confusion stems from the fact that 99% of the information about moving from a temporary visa to a green card is from, from H-1B people because um, there's a lot more of those out there in the world than there are Canadians. So um, it, the part that I'm talking about is the adjustment phase. Yep. So when you're applying for permanent residence in the United States at during the last phase of the process, once you've proven everything to the Department of Labor and you've proven to USCIS that you qualify and that your employer is sponsoring you, then you get to adjust status and you change from whatever temporary status you're in to permanent residence. During that phase, the adjustment of status phase, there is a limitation on travel for a period of time. And if you're in an H-1B status, that limitation on travel does not apply to you because the H-1B is what's called a dual intent visa. So you can have the intention to apply for permanent residence while you hold an H-1B. The TN is a single intent status. So you may not hold the intention of applying for permanent residence while you hold a TN. So the interplay there, I think, in most people's mind is that, oh, H-1B, it's allowed to go to green card and TN is not allowed to go to green card. That is not true. The impact really comes, practically speaking, on your tra- ability to travel while it, that last, while in that last once phase of permanent residence. Intent. Correct. Yeah. So once that's happened, you can still continue to work on your TN, but your travel outside the United States may be limited. Not well. Will be. You say <laughs> you say limited. I say can't. Well, yeah, uh, you which can. you can. You're not a prisoner. No. Uh, but if you do depart the country and you are on a TN status and you've applied for adjustment of status, you're abandoning mm-hmm. your application. So I would say that's a good can't unless you yeah. want to start all over again. Which most countries around the world don't care if they can't leave the United States, but Canadians do. We yes, care. Canadians care. They love travel. Yes. Yeah, so I, we talk to people all, all day long about this process and... Every time it's Wait, like, well, I can't leave for a my year. My grandmother's in Canada. What if something happens? What am I going to do? I still have adult children in Canada. I'm going to have to go back. I have a home there. Which is understandable. Yeah. We all so, want to be next to family and be able to visit them. But even, even if that is a limiting factor in your case, say you say, okay, you know what? I'm going to need to travel. Maybe I need to travel for work internationally throughout this process. You know, some jobs still require that. Can't do everything remote. So. Yeah. If that's the case, you could still file, instead of adjusting status, you could file with the consulate Consular in Montreal yep. and do it that way and avoid any impact at yep. all. If it's done correctly, you can still do that. Yeah. Uh, it takes longer. Uh, most people opt to do an adjustment of status. I don't even know if I've had any opt for consular processing while on a TN just because of the time savings in adjustment of status. I have had people opt You've for had that. someone yeah, do Yeah, people that have to travel for work internationally and Gosh. need to keep their travel schedule open. I don't think I've had a single one ever. It does prolong the process, though. I convinced them otherwise. Yeah. Like, okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> once yeah. they find out, it's... Like but if your employer tells you, you, listen, time. you need to be in Europe once a month for the next, you know... Yeah. So in certain situations, uh, 
they want to maintain that ability. Mm -hmm. So that's really the huge advantage of a TN right there, or not H1B. an H1B, yeah. um, is you maintain that ability but to travel during the we adjustment. We say huge advantage, but I don't think it's a huge advantage. I think it's... To some people it is because they travel to them is well, very important. Yeah, I just would not hold my life back in applying for a green card. A year is such a short period of waiting, time. Waiting to try to get yeah. into that lottery because yeah. the lottery chances are low. And if you're going to wait to apply for a green card until you hit the lottery, um, why, yeah, why there's a that? chance you could never hit the lottery. I've, I, I, this year, I've had people uh, do the H1B visa lottery three, four times and finally give up and say, forget it. Yep. Uh, so but there if they no started guarantee. the green card process before they did that, these weren't Canadian oh. individuals, but, but I'm just saying, yeah. if, you, if, if you're Canadian, if you're Canadian and you're waiting to get chosen in the H1B lottery before you start your green card dream or your green card application, you're crazy. don't do it. Just yeah, start now. Just start now. Cause by the time you get chosen in the lottery and get that H1B, you could have a green card in your hands. You could. Yep. Depending on, on the process mm -hmm. and the odds of getting in that lottery. So to me, when I think about H1B and TN, the two the two major reasons that you'd, you'd consider the H1B over TN are, are what we discussed. The one is your ability to travel throughout the entire process, even going to green card. If that's important to you or your employer, well, that's an advantage of going to TN. The other is your, your profession. <laughs> H1B. I got TN on the brain. You do. You well, can you, tell. Yeah, you're getting them. I don't know why. I, and I know I, I know what you're saying, but our listeners may not. So that's, that's why, why I got you. kind of correcting you. Um, <laughs> where the TN is limited in professions as well. Mm. The H1B. Very I limited. like the flexibility with the H1B with occupations. Uh, those to me with the H1B are its primary advantages. Other than that, TN beats it hands down, hands yeah. down. Cost. If, you, if you're a Canadian citizen and you can do the TN, getting it, the unlimited extensions, yep. same pathway to green card. Uh, Did TN, you say it's cheap? It's I inexpensive. Inexpensive compared to it costs very little. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of advantages that Canadians have for TN, and there are a lot of people, even attorneys, that are, are disgruntled because Canadians have this option because you're stealing. Um, H1B <laughs> sometimes from from others that don't have from the TN as an advantage. But yeah. hey, my opinion, uh, do it if it's uh, if it's what you need to do to accomplish your career goals, then go for it. Thank you for tuning in today and listening listening to us ramble on about TN status and H1B visa status. Uh, if you have any questions that you would like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to submit them to us through our website. Um, in any time you have a question about immigration law, feel free to contact us. You can give us a call. Uh, visit us through our website as well. Uh, thank you for tuning in and have a great day.